Welcome to Oakwright's In The Frame, episode five. This episode is going to be a discussion with Mark Brinkley, my old friend who is author of The House Builder's Bible. This is every self-builder's must-have read. We're not trying to sell anything. I was never selling anything other than the books. I was posing as Honest Joe here, you know. I, I can't think of any other book that is really a full guide on how to build your own home. How much does it cost to build a house? It's a very sensible question, and, and I'm sure you've been asked it many times, I have. People don't say, how much does a car cost? Today, I'm very lucky to have an old friend, Mark Brinkley, with me. And I would say that Mark is really almost self-build royalty, in a way. Mark knows more about the self-build industry than the crikey. And I have had hot dinners, I would say. And he is the author of The House Builder's Bible. Now, this book is absolute essential reading, I would say, for any budding self-builder. It guides you all the way through the process and answers virtually every question you may wish to ask about self-build. And it is a book that needs to be on your bedside table from the moment you start to think about self-build and will help you all the way through the process. So, Mark, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you, Tim. What a lovely introduction. So, yes, so we are, well, we have episode, uh, or or edition 13 here, but actually, uh, I think I'm almost a little bit behind the game line, because I think edition 14 is just about to be released. It's with the printers right now, as we speak. It's about, about a week away from having it in my hand. Great. And I suppose within the conversation, we've known each other for uh, how many years? When, when was the first show? We, well, it goes that? back to the 90s, doesn't it? It's it long enough ago for, for most people in this game. I can't remember the, the first No, the exact ago. time. And we're here um, at, at the Oakwright Show Home, and you have visited here once before. You came to help us writing a brochure, I think it was. Um, That's right, yeah. How many years ago? About 10 that? years ago. 10 yeah. years. And your, de- your business has developed quite a lot since then. And I've been chronicling the whole comings and goings of the of, of, of the self-built industry in that time. So, with the with the with the book, how did the book start, and how did the idea come about for the House Builders Bible? I was working in a small development business in Cambridge, my hometown. I've always been based in Cambridge, uh, and uh, I was the backroom boy. I wasn't the front of house boy. I'm never the front of house boy, and I would be writing little notes about where we'd got the guy that where that staircase come from or who was good at doing the windows. And I'd keep little notes up. Back in the days, we had Amstrad PCWs. I was yes. a big believer in... I'd thrown away the typewriter and got an Amstrad PCW. And that was... Dates it, doesn't it? Because that was about 1980s, late 80s. Wow. And it got longer. And this notebook got longer and longer and longer. And then I came to build... Uh, my own house. In fact, it was the, the, the Great Recession of the the the, 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 the Lawson bust yes. of the late eighties, and, and we had a building plot, and we couldn't sell it. And we said, "Well, I, I a small growing family with lots of three little boys. I need somewhere bigger to live." And we ended up building a house on this building plot out in the countryside outside Cambridge. And the process of doing that was actually the most challenging thing I'd ever done. I knew, I knew about the how to build, and you know, knew the way around the trades, but the Choices you have to make as a as a, as a self builder, and this hasn't changed one jot, yeah. are quite overwhelming, you know. And, and you, all of a sudden, you're thrown back on yourself. How do I decide what floor cover to put? How to cover? You know, all these questions that come roaring at you, and you've got limited time span to make these decisions. It's funny, isn't it? As well, I find that uh, 
you say it's you know everything and and I find that I can advise our customers virtually on everything I can almost make every decision for them yet whenever I come to carry out my own build I can't seem to make I am my own worst customer I cannot make a decision the, the opportunities are almost overwhelming and you sort of think well crikey and probably with your development work you made those decisions exact where we will do x y and z that type of floor that type of heating suddenly you're coming to build your own house and you think, because you're saying something about yourself in wanting to build a house it is an expression of your identity and the person you are and all of a sudden these things matter much more than just sort of whether we can do it for a budget and uh, that exactly that problem is the, the nugget i was dealing with i said there's got to be advice here there's no book out in the market that really did that and i scratched my head and thought mm, maybe and i'd been writing little notes and i'd done bits of i wouldn't say journalism i'd done odd articles for things and i did newsletters for the cricket team and that sort of thing you know played around with it and always enjoyed writing and the germ of an idea came that there's a book here uh, and i started assembling it into a notes and there were sections i knew nothing about and arguably still don't but you know i went out and found out you know how do you plumb a house you know how do you wire a house all these sort of things what do roofers know that ordinary people don't know and and just beave it away long before the internet existed i used to phone people up phone up technical departments of uh, of uh, various companies and talk to the sort of the the, the boffins and the white coats who love to be asked these questions because you know they yeah. very often didn't get asked <laughs> for months at a time you know and they wanted to talk and write it all down, note it. I thought, uh, there's a book, and, I, and originally I thought, well, I'll try and go around to some publishers. I also went to some, the bookshops and say, is there such a book in existence, you know? And that's in, in itself interesting because uh, you go to a bookshop and there'll be pages of books on music, there'll be pages of books on gardening, wine appreciation. You get to the building section and there's a couple of DIY craft books and there may be, there's a big bit on various famous architects, but this problem about what you know how do you go to no one had ever written this big to, to my mind it was like going on holiday to barcelona you want a guidebook to see all the sites you know if you're going to rome one day and madrid or whatever you want you and there was nothing and this is a similar process you're going out to see what you know how you go about it build a house what, what do i need to know interesting i suppose thinking it was that. a guidebook a, a hand-holding exercise yes. I hadn't really thought about it because obviously I've known you, your book because I have known you through the home building shows, but I've never actively been out and looked for a book that describes completely how to build your own home. And being a carpenter by trade, I suppose you you you, you being a carpenter, you tend to pick up a little bit of what everybody else does, and you seem to be involved a little bit with what everybody else does within the process. So I'd never really thought about that, but uh, so. And uh, when, it, when you come to think of it, I, I can't think of any other book that is really a full guide on how to build your own home. And that's where it started. And uh, I couldn't get a publisher interested. They said, if you're going to put prices in it, well, it'd be out of date almost immediately. And, and I said, well, I'll do, do, do another edition. You know, and the idea of having a rolling project, what well, didn't really start at the beginning, but that, that became apparent very early yes. on. And... Um, I just had to put it together, and 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 at that, and that time I didn't know about self build. I'd never read a self build magazine. I didn't know about the shows. I just I was in my own little bubble. And, and it wasn't until I came to do the marketing that I had to 
interact with the, the self-build shows and all of a sudden got out there and, and, and met the general public and, and that's where it all started. So you started off as a development, as developing and are you a trade background or what was your background before to go into the construction industry? Well, why did I, that's in itself is an interesting story. It's flipped back another 10 or 15 years. Uh, I'm a sociology graduate, you know, equipped to do nothing, you know. And uh, I stumbled around after university looking for things to do and I worked in a whole food shop and I worked in a small advertising agency and I just stumbled in across some friends who were doing up houses and, and they're doing it for a living very casually. It wasn't a proper construction business. It was mates chipping in. We could all do a bit of everything and come and have a go, you know, if you don't know how to, to wire a house, we'll show you, you know. And so, and so we had a sort of cooperative building business. Yes. And uh, we were working on the improvement grant boom. That's something that's yes. now history. But there were lots of there lots of money for people doing up their terraced houses. Six thousand pounds. The council would sign you off, and we could build an extension, put a loo in, and that's where I cut my teeth. And that developed slowly into a, a development business, doing starting to do barns. Uh, and I also went off and did a carpentry course, tops courses. There's another great institution that's lost in the dust at the annals of history now so i learned a bit about the trades and and how to do it uh and we were busy developing barns and buying and then, plots uh, and then we were hit by the great lawson building bust of of, of 88 uh, which i describe in some know, I, some detail I in, in the book i actually started i think that's i i remember that that's when i actually started my carpentry career was in it was in that it was in that time <laughs> that was a hairy time for, for people in the construction business wasn't it well it was interesting <laughs> i think because when you when you're starting if you start in a yeah. recession you know nothing else do you yeah so that to me that was just normal but i can imagine that i was running a business and then suddenly hitting that would have been quite challenging there was a boom followed by a bust the like of which we haven't seen since you know it's mm. always been a cyclical business but uh, that was my education in it. And, and, and because there wasn't much work around, I thought maybe writing about it was, was, was a different avenue. And that's, that's how I channeled it into writing. So first edition, and what did you, what did you focus on? I'm, I'm quite interested that we're on going into 14th edition. How has the book developed and changed over time? And then a second question would be, how has the self-build market changed over time? And the people within the self-build industry and the customers how would you or the people who are self-building well that's where i feel i've sort of become a chronicler if you like because so, I'm, I'm writing about it rather than being actively involved you know in, in a construction business like you are uh but having done years and years and years of of the home building renovating shows uh, and also had a lot to do individually with people approaching me about stuff you see the business developing i mean go back to 1980 uh, never no one had heard of the term self-build you know it was it was happening people go out and built houses but it was never called self-build so self-build was almost like a sort of marketing invention that suddenly there'd be a there'd be a, a, a new consumer product that you'd go out and buy a house and there were magazines and shows and and there were one or two companies specializing a bit really very few uh, and what happened is that gradually more and more people got interested. The TV obviously got interested uh, when Grand Designs appeared in yes. 99 and that fed onto a load more programmes, didn't it? And it became something we viewed on telly that still didn't get into bookshops very much. But uh, So the awareness of it grows and with it has grown this sort of fascination with new and different ways of building, which is fascinating. Interiors have changed. You've seen the whole 
style of building has changed and i can see you smiling that you yes. know you know very well how and it continues to evolve all the time doesn't it you know it is funny that in the oak frame i can go i can remember when we when we started which would be about 22 years ago now that we were looking at this frame here when we first started the oak we would have been staining the oak with a, a darker a much darker stain than we have here this house i think we built about 15 years ago and this has got a slight coloring on the frame and yet now we would never put a color on it very rarely are we ever asked to put any color onto the oak at all it is just natural and i suppose that goes to the whole style of housing and the way the houses so from your first self-build how do you think you've seen that develop and within the writing of the book has that affected the way you write the book or the way you present the book the, the actual tone of it hasn't really changed it's always it was always going to be uh, originally it was the gorilla guide it had cartoons you know and this, this is a builder's eye eye of, of what the process is yeah. we're not trying to sell anything i was never selling anything other than the books i was posing as honest joe here you know yeah. so uh don't be foisted by various bits of sales literature find out a little bit about it and, 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 and plus a few tips of the trade were, were, were thrown in as well and that approach hasn't really changed what happens is I, I tend to get interested in certain aspects of it and beaver away at it and that appears in the book so the book grows it has happens it went out to about 340 pages I think we started about 160 so it's doubled it's more doubled in size and I, I now try and trim it I said if I can't get bigger and bigger and bigger because make it smaller because it's also it's a hell of a task to keep on top of it all, you know. And and and, and I did a fifteen years ago. I really got into soundproofing and sound insulation, and a whole number on, which is a very obscure, difficult bit of science to get your head around, you know. And that bit sits there to this day. And fortunately, they haven't really changed the regulations very much. But uh, I'm pleased that that's there. But you know, and then next year it might be something else, you know, different forms of insulation coming and going, beering about that. So each edition represents a bit, a bit of research work when you mentioned the sound it's a, we're looking at a uh, i'm working on the design of a new smaller show home and it's going to be quite close to the road it's quite a narrow plot so i'm going to be designing a house that's sort of narrow facing onto the road i'd like to have a nice frontage looking out and one of our trademarks is that big glazed gable mm-hmm so on the sound sound frontage, we're looking at using triple glazing um, with the with the oak frame a face glazing system, and we're just working out what what is the uh, what are the acoustics of that face glazing system, and and that goes back to the so I want to make sure that we can be close to the road, but yet we can sit inside a lovely sitting room and uh, lots of light coming in but also no noise ideally and that's what we're working on there so i can understand and all these things are related that's related to your having a, a whole house ventilation system mm. because back in the day we were all sticking trickle vents in the top of windows now yeah. there's a horrible detail that fortunately we've lost pretty much now but although you'll still see it on lots of uh, ordinary builder sites so you're actually sticking a hole you haven't got all this trouble of insulating and soundproofing a house you then put a hole in the top of the window you know which is terrible for soundproofing uh, and um, that leads you into ventilation. And how how do you ventilate it? You, you know, I don't think back in 1990 we had two thoughts about how you ventilate. We, we basically you stuck in a, a fan in the the bathroom, a fan in the kitchen because the building roads insisted of it. The whole house that you the idea you could create an environment where you're controlling the indoor air quality like we do now was in its infancy. Then you know the the, the boffins knew about it, but but it wasn't there. 
as an option for self for self builders. And now people think about this sort of stuff. And believe me, the force ventilation system is something you, <laughs> within oak frame, you really have to think about. Yeah. Because we build the lovely oak frame, and then normally the design of the ventilation system comes later. And we have to try and bring that thought process forwards because you design the oak frame and then you really need to be designing where are all the ducts going to go. So to make sure that you can get your ducts into each room at the correct uh, uh, diameter. And that can be challenging because you normally find your oak frame is in the way quite often. So how do we get around that? And that's a, a design... I think the answer so, is you have to actually design the, the ducting in with, with the frame at the outset, don't you? You yeah, almost yeah, do, yeah. yes. And that sort of thing is evolving and, um, you know, it's like we're, we're getting better at building houses, but it's taking time and all these things, have, they're all integrated into a whole. So you mentioning that um, in edition 14, your, your latest, what are the points there? That uh... what, it, One of the interesting things about the structure of the book is that I've always gone through the house process from planning, design, project management, foundations superstructure finishes you know and always stuck at the end of the book there's been a green chapter you know for people that are interested in highly energy efficient houses well you know just the general green issue this 14th edition i've axed the green chapter because i've decided really we've got to the stage with the the, the, the climate crisis we call it what you like when we can't really build houses that aren't green no, anymore. Green is mainstream, isn't it? It's really, got to be it mainstream. Is, it is mainstream. And it's not, it's not a little add-on that you might or might not choose to do that. There's always been a, a, a chunk of self-builders, about 10%, 15% that are interested in green issues, but it's never been mainstream. I'm sort of thinking it's no, it's no longer really acceptable to do that. So I've axed the, the the green chapter altogether, and it's moved into the the, the main part of the book, and particularly the the, the heating, what well, used to call the heating and plumbing chapter, has been reissued as, as it's called um, power and and data, and it's all to do with the, the house moving to ele electric power. I think you know the, the time has come to stop burning fossil fuels. Uh, uh, we don't have to, but the, the, the government has indicated that we want everyone to move over to heat pumps. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, that's got to be at the core of the book. It can't really be something as an option. No. So I spent a lot of the last six months working on the whole issue of, of, of electric heating and heat pumps and, and, the, and the whole of how we're going to build a, a grid. It's, it's, it's both a national problem and an individual housing problem. How do you build a, a, a society around mostly renewable energy that's coming in impulses and then there's days when there's none you know and we have these huge battery backups and the same issue goes on in a house you know we, we're going to houses with with tesla batteries and you know yes. people are moving over to electric cars and they're having to have charging points in their houses and they're having electric bikes and they're having to charge them you know and all these sort of gizmos which people are happy to embrace there's still a lot of consumer fear about heat pumps you know will, well, will, will it work and well, I think we're sitting in a house that proves that it does work. And I think the self-build industry, as ever, is the great, the greater embracer of technology, isn't it? But the self-build industry will, will take steps and, and t take the plunge where the, the major developers fear to tread or do not want to tread for a while. Here, I think this house is 15 years old now, and we have a ground source heat pump. And um, it's two 65-metre boreholes in the, in the back drive. And uh, that I remember, but again, that was a little bit like the 
air saw, um, sorry, in the ventilation system, sorry, where I thought about it after the event. So I designed the house. I then decided to put the forced ventilation system in when I should have designed it inwards. I had to find ways of working that in. I was going to go with oil. Then Arga had released an electric Arga, so I thought it would be nice to have an electric Arga rather than an oil Arga. So then I started thinking, well, actually, if I'm only using oil for the heating, I don't need to use it for the Arga. Well, perhaps we should be going for a, a ground source heat pump. They were quite new at the time. There was a grant towards installing them. So we installed the ground source heat pump, and it has worked very well. And we do find now that mostly it is air source or ground source heat pumps that we're installing for heating systems on nearly all of the houses that we build. So this was one of your first with a heat pump, if it, not the first? Or? It, no, it, w- it wouldn't be the first. As ever, I will say, I tend to learn mostly from our, from our customers. I find our customers are, are, are very adventurous and they have lots of ideas, which again then make you look into things and research things and can they work. So I'd seen that the customers were using ground source heat, heat pumps and air source heat pumps. I just quite like the idea of ground source at the time. So I thought, well, let's let's do that, and and it worked, and it has worked very very well. And you're right about self builders embracing change. I mean, underfloor heating is another one that that is is even now not really widely accepted in mainstream developer housing, is it? Yeah. But self builders embraced it right right back at the beginning, and and uh, I've, you wouldn't be many self built houses now without an underfloor heating system, would there? I find it quite unusual when we go in, and sometimes you do see a house where you you do fit radiators, and you think, yeah. actually, ooh, that's radiators I haven't seen, haven't installed any of those for a while. How <laughs> retro is that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and and so it it, it 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 has been a journey. It's a fascinating journey, and and also and the other aspect that's really interesting is learning from abroad, isn't it? And and I know that you've been to Germany many times. I've been there several times and seen how their industry is organised and. And what you begin to realise is how unusual the British building uh, business is, you know, and, and how we do it. And it's actually quite fascinating. You'd think in, in Western developed countries we would have developed, a, you know, we, we build cars the same way, don't we? You'd think we'd build houses the same way, but we don't. We've got all these amazingly different systems. And, and, and the, the British system, the more you study it, the, the more antiquated and peculiar it is, you know. And, and the self-build bit of it is a sort of beacon of hope that we can build better houses you know it doesn't always work out but at least people are trying things and experimenting and you're in a position where the customer is is making the choices which is what we happen to see in particularly in Germany, but other, other European countries, and the same in, in, in North America, isn't well, it? I think with, the, with Europe, they, you have where a, a lot of the time each village or town has to have so many plots available, and those plots are, as a percentage, are available um, for people who live in the area, and therefore if you live in a village and you want to remain living in the village, there will be plots available. I think they have some form of purchase system where... They, it's almost a compulsory purchase, so therefore the farmer gets an uplift, but not a great uplift. So therefore the plots are not stratospherically expensive, and therefore you can spend a little bit more on the build. Whereas here, it's so difficult to get planning, and it is almost like winning the lottery when you gain planning permission on a piece of ground. So a lot of the cost goes into the purchase of the plot. 
And that's probably where the where the book then, you know, the House Builders Bible comes in because you really have to focus on how much is it going to cost to build the house? I've spent X amount on the plot. How does it all stack up? But the other interesting thing I think is with the, the book and with self-build is you need to look at self-build in a different way to how we tend to look at this country. Almost everybody's looking at it as from a development perspective. So the developer looks is how how much can I drill the cost of the ground down but then almost almost so how how much can we drill the cost of the build down and then the person the customer at the end of it just gets what is provided and the and the large margin is goes to the developer but the developer in a way has there's a lot of risk because it takes so long to get planning and to get the project through to the selling the house they need to have that margin there to make it worthwhile whereas self-build is different I think isn't it where you're you're looking at somewhere for your family back to when you said where you went away from your development business and you were building a house for your family suddenly you're looking at well what is important to me what do I need for my family and how does the house work on the plot and what style of house would I like to build which are questions that very few people ever get to ask in this country because the they are provided with what the developer has built. But once they can start asking those questions, that's where the, a book like the House Builders Bible comes in because suddenly all those questions come flooding in. I think, well, where do I go to find the information? That's exactly what I set out to do, Tim. And um, I don't always know the answer, but at least I know what the questions are. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully in that book you will find all the questions. I noticed when I came here to stay, uh, you've got a fantastic library of, of building books here. And I said, what, my book's not here. Why, why, why not? I thought you might at least have stuck mine on the shelf somewhere and you told me well, that's the one that always gets lifted and never, never, never stays here in one, three months. So. Well, it is the case where I always say to people when they're staying, they say, well, I, I give a little guided tour through the books that are here. I love buying books and books about construction and mostly are specific types of elements of construction. I say it's very unusual to have a book that's how do you build a house for the person who doesn't know how to build a house. Most of the books I've got are for trades people who know how to build and it's all of a finite detail but you need a book just a guide of how do you build a house <clears throat> so I describe to each person there's a book here and I think maybe they do tend to disappear but that's great because I think that if somebody is taking that book they're going to be at home it's going to be on bedside table reading the book and hopefully it'll it'll it's guide. a loo book actually there's a great book to have in the loo because you can pick up <laughs> any page and read a page and I think ah got that you know yeah. that's the point of it so i know lots of people say we keep it in the loo and it goes there and I, quite often i'm in the loo for 45 minutes <laughs> yeah well i came to look i get knowing that we were going to have our, our our chat today i came to look for the book the other week and i thought ah no it is it is gone it's gone again so i had to get on onto amazon order the book and read and i will say the one bit i do love and I, i've read through all the book but the great point is and as i refresh my memory and you, and you go through to the introduction. Page one. Page one. Quick, cheap, or good. You can have any one of the two, but not all three. And I think that's wonderful advice to start off for anybody because normally we always focus on the cost of how much is it going to cost. And then in the self-build uh, way, we start looking at what could we have? And what would we like? What do we desire? And that goes for the design and the products that we use in the house. And and I just looked at that, yes, I thought I probably, when I'm building my own projects, need to sometimes look back at this triangle. Do I want it quick? I would obviously desire, desire it to be cheap. 
but I always want it to be very good and I have to realise that I'm probably not going to get it quick, cheap and good. And normally with me, it ends up being good is where I tend to focus. I like to you know, really push the boat out and build as well as I can. But for anybody building, and that's where the book is very good, it guides you through, well, if you want to go economical, we won't say cheap, but if you want to go economical, then you have to keep it very simple. And then it also then goes on to explain that, well, that will probably not look quite like good, but good will not be economical. And good may be quick, but if it's going to be good and quick, it is definitely not going to be economical. And and later on, you'll find a table called How to Treble Your Build Costs, yes. which looks at, you know... The difference between the sort of developer standard and uh, and the, the standard we'd all aspire to, which is like to think where you're aiming, Tim. But yeah. uh, it's very easy to treble. That's the other thing that's extraordinary about this business: how much does it costs to build a house. It's a very sensible question, and and I'm sure you've been asked it many times. I have. People don't say how much does a car cost. They know perfectly well there are cars out there for ten grand, and there are cars out there for over a hundred grand. You know. And uh, you sort of, it's a horses for courses situation. It's, the same is true of houses. And yet people don't put that thing, doesn't go ping in their head uh, until they've dug into it a lot deeper and realised just what the difference is between a, you know, a £3,000 uh, square metre house and a, a £1,500 square metre house. And they're, they're, they're very different beasts. Uh, and... And that's it's a difficult issue because you know because as I say you, it's, you, you don't build your own car, do you? No. You 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 you're out there. You're buying a brand, you know. And here you you have to put yourself into it. So you're you're well, saying something about about yourself as much as, as anything, and, and and the depth of your pocket. Yes. You, but you don't. You, well, you do, I suppose, in a way. I, I yes, I do. I, I sometimes spend my evenings sat on my uh, computer, sort of building my car or whatever, oh. and, and then find a build it and think, oh dearie me, look at the cost of that. I'll go back and change that. And uh, but normally you tend to look at what the figure is for a car, and, and and it's very clear you can only have so many options. But when you come to self build, there are almost a finite amount of options, and I find we do spend a lot of time explaining to people the options. Um, that they could use within their self-build uh, to build their home. And the challenge is that as we're explaining, and normally the, 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 the challenge is that there's a long burn. It's a long, from the moment people start thinking and they meet you and they chat, so how much does the house cost to build? And you can give a good guide of where that price will be. And, uh, but by the time you actually get to build the house, three years down the line, obviously everything's changed quite, sometimes not too much, sometimes quite dramatically. And, the moment we are now sitting here, coming out of the the pandemic, um, we are seeing material prices are just increasing on a weekly basis, and so that will have it doesn't have a great, a huge knock on to the cost, but it does have a cost uh, implication. Labour is still the greatest cost, and at the moment, reasonably stable. But I think things are increasing, so you tend to find you get that. You, you, the discussion is that, well, when we were first discussing, you, you were suggesting this type of price, which at that time would have been correct. But now, 18 months, two years down the line, things things have changed. So it is a, a moving target. How much does it cost to build? It's a moving target. This reminds me of a conversation I had with one of the big publishers when I was first trying to float this idea. I ended up self-publishing it because no, I couldn't get a publisher interested in it. They said to me, you can't put cost information in there. It'll date very quickly. 
And the funny thing is, it hasn't. And this is the first time in the, the 25 years I've been involved in writing this book, it was suddenly we've got a, a period when the costs are going to the roof. And I thought, this is what it used to be like in the 1970s, you know. That is an interesting thing. I was um, always thinking if I was to ever write a book, um, you'd, if you're going to write a story, it has to be a really, really good story for it to go on and to have longevity. Yeah. Otherwise it comes, it's a bestseller, it disappears, it gathers dust and, and nobody reads it ever again, really. Uh, very few people can write Gone with the Wind or a book like that, can they, or Charles Dickens. But with a book like The House Builder's Bible, it does need updating. Not a, not a, Cost is one element, but also the style of build, the type of house we build, and what people desire within a within a, within a home changes over time so the great thing the great strength is you can keep updating and it may i would imagine but it makes it quite quite good fun because what was important to you 15 years ago may not be important at all anymore and what was of a you know uh, importance to the customers might not be quite yeah. so important and and there's been a lot of technical changes um leds you know 10 years ago that was an aspiration. Five years ago, it became a news story that got to fit LEDs. Now you hardly mention it. That's just what people fit. You know, yes. that, that, that's for building. That's an amazingly quick change. We've the whole lighting scan system has changed in it, 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 almost perceptibly. I got to the LED section this edition. I don't need to put this. I don't need to encourage people to take LEDs because they're doing it anyway. You know, they're in the shops. They're two pounds each. You know, and, and, and that's just uh, just happened. And uh, there's other things like your computer-controlled lighting system that you've got here yes. that we sit there and we're pressing this, what's this and what's that and thing, and that, that they were all the rage 15 years ago. I bet you if you did another one, you wouldn't put one in now. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no probably not. No, I suppose really, we, I, I should say, oak framing, when do you remember from your experience being in the Southfield industry for so long, at what point did you notice oak framing and when did that start to... Well, you've got a fascinating story right there, haven't you? What is the story of oak framing? Britain was an oak-framed country back in the Tudor times, the 1500s. Absolutely. And then when the, we ran out of oak trees, when the, 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 we introduced these bricks from and uh, Holland. The, the Great Fire of London, I think after yeah. that, it, a, a timber framing was banned, in, banned yeah. in London, so that brought on more brickwork. I said once London started building houses in brickwork, everybody aspired to be like the capital, and it sort of almost went out of it, fashion a little bit. And other than the cathedrals and, you know, things like the, the Oxbridge colleges with their ceilings, there was almost no oak work at all in Britain for 300 years, was there? Yeah. And suddenly... Around the, the the Welsh borders in the 1980s, people thought, "Oh, I'll try well border oak." Absolutely yeah. started there, you know, then followed on by I think carpenter oak and and, and then oakrights and many other companies have come through. And there are now <coughs> a lot of it's almost become mainstream it's now. Almost whereas, mainstream, and, and and it's a beautiful way of building. People can't deny it. it's lovely, and it and it sits the modern style of having big open plan structures doesn't it yes but at the same time it's wedded with the wonderful history of oak frame building that we've got in this country it's not happening in, in other countries it, it's a uniquely british development is, is that true I, well you, there is a company i've noticed in germany um who build traditional oak frames i think they're called von elling and i've looked at what they do but they actually uh, kiln dry the oak and uh, and then build with it in a very hansel and gretel style yeah. house but not many companies uh, that you see and yeah, they, they, they find it quite unusual. The machinery that we build the houses with, which we buy from Germany, 
we are very unusual that we are using it for oak framing. I think in America they use the machinery for post and beam construction. But I think the unusual thing that we have found is that actually we are gently stepping into the development market where developers are using oak framing and that can be sometimes like a hint of oak, sometimes a little bit more depending on the site. So it is almost like a uniquely British desire that people love to have an oak within their home. And that's quite exciting, isn't it? And it, 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 it's a great story in itself. And, 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 and here we sit in a beautiful living room with you know masses of people want light, don't they? That's one of the great things of the, of the last 30 years. Big, bigger windows, yeah. more light in buildings. Uh, the colours, you, you're saying, you know, you would have stained oak originally. Now you wouldn't dream of it. Uh, the, the, the trend is towards pale, scandy sort of finishes. And actually the, the oak frame matches those two uh, trends. Works well, almost like that. Sometimes I think it's almost like that uh, North American beach house style a little yeah, yeah. bit but the oak frame gives us a, a, a wonderful feeling and uh, your history sort of matches mine in a way doesn't it you must have been starting out on the oak journey well 22 ni- years 90, ago yeah yeah, yeah. So, pretty much pretty, I, I, I can't remember where oak even features in the first edition i'll go no. and, 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 and check away at it but you know, it, it's certainly the very few self-builders aren't at least aware of it and the very fact that yours and other businesses built up sub- substantial, successful businesses, building a unique style, is, is, is a great self-build story. Yes. So we have the House Builders Bible. I would say to any aspiring uh, self-builder, you need to get yourself a copy. It will be great uh, bedside reading, and it will give you all the information. And sometimes it will answer the questions. Mostly it will answer the questions. Quite often it will inspire... Uh, more questions to be asked which you can talk to uh, people such as Mark you you can talk to ourselves and uh, it will help you on your self-build journey so Mark good luck with uh, edition 14 I hope it goes well for you and uh, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be many more editions to come and it'll be interesting to see what you include within those editions and what gently falls away but uh, thank you very much indeed Mark it's been a great conversation thank you thank you I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Oakwrights in the Frame, and if so, please follow and subscribe. If you'd like to learn more about the self-build industry, we have many more episodes for you to explore, so please join us.